This is The Next Turn, the home of conversations about skiing, ski racing, and sport. I'm your host, Martin Wilson, and thank you for joining us in the pursuit of better, to be better athletes, better coaches, better parents, and better fans. This week, a conversation with Charlie Guest. Welcome back to The Next Turn. It's great to have you here. It's great to have Jeff Vibert and Kara Williams by my side, as per usual. Jeff, how you doing, man? Buddy, any better, and I would be Dave Riding. Dave Riding would be a good guy to be right now. Kara, how are you doing? I'm well, thanks, Martin. It's great to be back here with you guys. Yeah? Who would you be <laughs> if you could be anybody? Well, I'd probably be Lucas Broughton. Yeah, he'd be a pretty good guy to be. I don't want to um, steal I'd... Jeff's uh, thunder from next week. He's probably going to try and pull that yeah, But I think but... we should have him on our show. Clearly. <laughs> okay, I'll call Let's him. him. <laughs> <laughs> call him Lucas if you listen. This week, though, we have British ski racer Charlie Guest. What a cool young woman she is. And before we get started, Jeff, why don't you give us the hard facts on Charlie Guest? Charlie Guest, born December 30th, 1993. She hails from Perth, Scotland. She made her World Cup debut in 2013 in Flachau, Austria. And unfortunately, in a training accident in 2014 in Sweden, suffered a broken back. Struggled for four years to come back, made the 2018 Olympic team. Started to have success on the Europa Cup in 2019 and 2020 with three slalom wins. And this year is making noise. 19th in Zagreb, 18th in Kranskagora, 13th in the Slodming Night Race, scoring World Cup points in every race she's finished and heading to the 2022 Olympics in Beijing. I like that. Yeah, those are a lot of good hard facts right there. Kara, what's the story here? What should listeners be listening to when they get a chance to uh, sit with Charlie Guest? Well, I'm sorry that I didn't get to sit with her. Honestly, I have to uh, quit my day job. But so this is an athlete from a small skiing nation who has risen through the ranks to become one of the most decorated female skiers in the history of Great Britain. But uh, like we've seen many times, the road hasn't been easy. And Charlie's had to battle through a debilitating, almost career-ending back injury. She describes not being able to walk or even buckle her own boots just mere weeks before she competed in the 2018 Winter Olympic Games. And like so many skiers, Charlie's had to battle for funding as well. In fact, she talks about how she has some real estate currently available on her helmet. Um, she also talks to us, frankly, about how she's able to keep the lights on during several dark and lonely seasons um, throughout her ascent. And what you'll hear in this interview is that although she doesn't say it outright, Charlie Guest is resilient. And where most people would pack it up, call it a day, Charlie has persevered. And at the age of 28, she's already broken records in her home country and heading into her second Winter Olympic Games. Charlie has a fresh new frame of mind that is almost as unique as being a World Cup skier from Scotland. If it's nice, Scotia's crap, as they say. <laughs> I love that. That's so great. Yeah, really cool young woman, tough as nails, and she shares a lot. I love the fact that um, we had this conversation and, and talked about the sponsorship that she's looking for. It's, you know, So are we, if anybody's really interested. But yeah, it's really interesting to talk about the business side of this sport and how she balances it and where she's headed now. It's so good to see this story develop. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Charlie Guest on the next turn. How cool does it feel to be a skier from Great Britain? It's insane. Like it's kind of actually like completely mixed. Well, I mean, it's it's everything I kind of always say and always prepare, like how much of a role model day riding is and how much of an inspiration he is for us. And he has been for me my entire career. And then he's just one, he's just one kid's sport. Like, no shit, you know, oh, that's yeah, awesome. Like, I'm still buzzing about it. Like, every time I like think about it, I'm like just smiling. And it's just like, it couldn't have happened to a better person at a better time. You know, it's, it just seems perfect. Like, it's, it's not a fluke. It's, it's becoming, it's becoming, it's becoming. And we know that like, this is building into potentially his last Olympics. Who knows? Um, and he's just, yeah, on such a high with the whole team that, yeah, I just can't wait to see more, to be honest. I think, I think the whole world just can't wait to see more of Dave Riding, which is insane. That is pretty cool. Can you talk about the guy that he is, like that grind? Like, we've had him on the show and, and we got to talk about his process, um, which is an incredible story. Yeah. But as a teammate of his now, like, what does he really do that makes him so good? He is 
constantly working. And even on the and it's to me, it's even on the days when you can tell he's a bit down, energy's a bit low, kind of over it, would rather be anywhere else but grinding. He is still turning up seven coffees down him or whatever, a few caffeine tablets, whatever it takes. Like he's turning up and he's doing it. And I think for me, I first really got to know Dave back in 20, it must have been 2011, 2012 season. Mm -hmm. That would have been my first one with like the sort of British junior girls program. I was still in high school and I joined sort of part time into the whatever, what was the junior British girls team. And he was there. It was just him and Tristan at that point. And we were sharing a ski room. And he was at that point where he was, he must have had what was like old school points, nine between nine and 11 12 and he was kind of winning the austrian fist races like it would be yeah like a it was a bit of battle between a few of the guys of him winning the austrian fist races and he was moving up into sort of trying to get those top positions in europa cup and oh my god I, that was it was such an eye-opener for me seeing like the lifting the amount of lifting that was still going on around skiing the sort of um attention to detail it went into food like Tristan was always on him like have you have you eaten something after training blah 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 like and for us even it was me and Tilly and a couple other girls were sharing an apartment Tristan would always be knocking on our door for like a little checkup like what's going on in here like what are you having for dinner what are you making are you sure have you got enough protein in that da 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 like and it was always a bit intimidating but um you're yeah we were seeing firsthand the kind of I guess the process they put in place to become the best long skier in the world and um yeah it's pretty cool to watch it's insane um, and yeah watching that and even watching it evolve over the last what 10 years that's been now it's like it's, it's just it's mad to think about and yeah I've I've tried to implement a lot of what they've done and you know that's been a huge influence on on me and my career and how I've worked and you know for my kind of like moving from U21 up into senior category like I took a lot of what they did and, and put it on myself I mean I've been through a, a slightly different um, career path I would say with injuries and stuff so I haven't exactly been able to do it. and I had to learn that actually I couldn't do what Dave Riding is doing I had to adapt and, and, and do my own thing and um, but but yeah seeing attitudes change and seeing because Tristan was such a hard like the most intimidating guy for me on the hill was Tristan Glass Davies when I was younger. And like you turn up to training quite often, we would train with him. He'd set these like, I'd say his inspiration must have been Ante Kostelich. Like seriously, <laughs> like the courses he would set in training. Bearing in mind, I had like thirty-five old fist points, and I was like trying to ski in with days and everything in training. And we'd be down Hinterite. If ever, if you know, do you know Hinterite? Mm -hmm. Yeah, down mm -hmm. Hinterite, and just these huge slalom turns just totally offset into like the tightest combinations it'd be like if i made it down a run those days it was like a win but yeah it was um it's been a thing yeah sounds like <laughs> a fun time uh, and that's sort of like, jeff and i were talking about um your own pathway and jeff maybe you can jump in here and and get some details from charlie yeah charlie can you just kind of walk us through you said it's a bit different than dave's um pathway how did you start did you start as a you know if six, seven, eight-year-old? Did you start on plastic or did you start skiing on snow? What was your pathway? Yeah, so I actually started skiing on snow. And my grandparents lived up in the north of Scotland uh, near Cairngorm Mountain. And so that's a two-hour drive from where I where home was for me in Perth. And um, basically my parents would pick us up from school on a Friday afternoon and we would drive up to my grandparents' house and spend the weekend with granny and grandpa and do some skiing on the side and then head home on a Sunday evening. Um, so that was actually, it's obviously a really privileged way to grow up skiing in the UK. It's to actually have some some kind of snow. Um, and I joined the local uh, race club there when I was probably about eight, nine. Um, I wasn't allowed to do it until I could, you know, carry my own stuff and ride the T-bar by myself kind of thing. My dad was like, I'm not putting her in there, having her show me up or whatever, because he did a bit of racing when he was younger. Um, and he got into it on the plastic slope down in Edinburgh at Hill End. 
Um, but he came into it quite late and I think he's he'd always regretted that he hadn't done it from like a young age that he was with us he was um I'm the oldest of four so with me and my siblings he was very much like put us in in ski club when we were were young and um yeah watched it kind of happen I guess I, I don't think they totally expected me to actually still be doing it whatever 20 odd years later but yeah here we are um, and I suppose from Scottish ski club up at Cairngorm uh, I got a bursary to go out to British Ski Academy out in France. So that would be, um, yeah, skiing all morning, school all afternoon. I then stayed at school to finish my A-levels and finish all my exams so I could, you know, go to university college or whatever uh, if I needed to. And when I left school at 18, I then went full time with what was the British Junior Girls team. And weirdly, I think there was a private donor that um, funded our little team, but we were Besides Dave and Tristan, we were like the only funded bunch or partly funded bunch. We still had to pay a lot of money to do it and um, partly funded bunch of um, myself and Tilly and, and a couple of others. So obviously myself and Tilly are still going and um, sort of carried us through into World Cup racing. And then, yeah, we had a few hiccups along the way, but we, we got there eventually. But I think, yeah, yeah, that's been my pathway. Oh, I did a bit I of plastic to- on the side. I was terrible at it. It was more like a summer thing like a social thing for me I'm really I won maybe a GS race down Hill End once but um yeah that wasn't my thing a GS on plastic I want to see that Uh, yeah it's hectic I I want to come back later on to so your development onto the to the World Cup but you mentioned the funding and that's something you and I spoke about earlier can you give us the broad strokes of, and it's an interesting day to speak to you because now that Dave has won, yeah, that's that's going to change the landscape a bit. But if I if I'm right with this with the history of of Great Britain ski team, they 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 lost funding a while ago. Dave got his second in Kitspiel funding, came back, it sort of spread out a little bit. You guys are paying a big chunk, but could you, you give us some details on the funding situation for? for the skiers in Great Britain. And then we'll get into the specific specifics of, of you and, mm-hmm. and what you're looking to do. Yeah. So let's think. So when I moved into fist racing, so that would have been 2009, eight, nine, um, our federation actually went bankrupt around 2010. Um, and so I was, I was too young, obviously in my first year to go into the British system, but then when I was kind of looking to, okay, now I need a team to support me, there was absolutely zero available. Like I'm pretty sure the guys they even had to fund them around the Olympics 2010, I think was an absolute nightmare in terms of money and what was happening because there was just no federation, no coaches, no nothing. And so when I came up into the team in 20, when did I say 11, 12, and um, there was some private money coming in somewhere for the full-time girls um, and I was part-time so I was still contributing uh, my expenses I suppose to that team because the coaches I didn't I think were um were funded but as that kind of went on the funding then this private donor obviously left and from the age of about like well, how old would I have been 18 19 I've been trying to find at least £25,000 at a minimum um, to do what I'm doing. After a few years of that, there was no funding even available for a coach for myself. I broke my back. I couldn't join the limited national team setup that there was because Tilly was performing really well at that point. She'd made um, old school six points. Um, So she was looking to head up into World Cup and I was sat there with a back that wasn't working. Like, I can't. I'm not doing GS and I'm certainly not at a six point level anywhere. So I'm going to have to fund this myself. So there was a good, was it three seasons? I had to fund the entire program myself, which was costing minimum £80,000 to try and do that for a year of summer training, like the whole thing. And that was still having friends who were helping me out with like, I've got a good Austrian friend and her family own a, a car garage so we could hire a van from them. And when I went down to New Zealand, I did homestays with the family. When I was out in Austria, I had family friends um, who'd moved out there who actually had an apartment free so I could stay in that. It was really like, like took my whole entire family network, anyone I knew, almost everyone I knew was helping in some way to get me doing what I'm doing, even and we moved forward a few years and we've got more support coming in government wise um, on the back of what Dave's been doing, what Alex has been doing, what then I've been doing. 
um, and our fifth place in the team event back in 2018 was pretty massive for that. And a lot of funding came off the back of that for us in Alpine. And um, yeah, but we're still having to pay what's more than the average salary for someone in the UK per year to do what we're doing. Um, which from me, and I'm, I'm getting a little bit of money even from UK Sport from on the back of our National Lottery Programme. Um, which contributes well, obviously quite a lot to that. Like anything helps, but I'm still ending every every season like in the red. <laughs> like I don't, I haven't had a season yet where I've broken even. Um, even this year, I think with my uh, with my better results, with obviously better bonuses, prize money, everything coming in, I'm still going to hit. I might hit just above zero this year. Actually. I might might get there. <laughs> You can get yourself a cappuccino. All right, yeah, let's ha- let, let's help you out here. What do you, you have a head sponsor space for rent? On, I absolutely on, do. <laughs> talk about what it would mean for somebody to come along and help you with that. What is it? What is it, I guess you could say, what does it cost? What does that space go for? And how does that, like as an athlete, how much of that is the business aspect do you hate doing? <laughs> <laughs> yes. it's certainly I'll start with the latter there I really enjoy connecting with the wider ski audience I really enjoy connecting with people I in fact I love going to schools and talking about skiing about sports about a healthy lifestyle about going for your dreams about going against the ordinary because that's exactly what my entire life has been in fact I think that's what every single ski racer from Great Britain's life has been probably in America too even to a certain extent like you're going out there doing a sport that isn't your national sport and you've Mm -hmm. somehow got to get people to believe in you and, and go for it I love that side what I'm terrible at is then convincing people like okay I can sell you this space I will I I just Uh, I don't know I just love being involved in skiing and involved with the community that I really am I'm terrible at the selling part (laughs) so you and I both you and I I think the biggest thing um you know I had um quite I had a very cool sponsor before covid started it's called caledonia sleeper and it's this train you can take from london up to scotland overnight and you basically get off all of our skiing hills the next morning um from london so it was a really cool thing but obviously covid was terrible for the travel industry and so i lost that head sponsor off the back of that and um i think the the biggest thing that having a head sponsor means for me is there's somebody out there that believes in what i'm doing and can understand the trajectory that I'm on and wants to be part of that journey. And that to me is, is what you're going to get out of it. You're part of a really cool story. And, you know, we've all just seen my day risings rise from King of the plastic slope to King of kids school, that it's like, it's something incredible to be part of. And uh, there's not many of us Brits out there that have been performing to the level that myself, Tilly and Dave, are at the moment and so um i say it's a pretty nice time to hop on the gb skiing train if you're interested i love that call 1-800 great britain's king um <laughs> I, I i love that idea and it's and i want to talk about your trajectory and where you are now because there's a lot of good stuff happening with your skiing and this seems like a great time <laughs> purely investment wise to get in <laughs> yeah. uh, on the charlie guest um train here you've had a 13 and schlad mean you've had top 20s in in Kranzkegor and in Zagreb, you, just outside the top 20 here in uh, K- Killington. Things are headed in the right direction, so it seems. A couple of years ago, you had three Europa Cup wins. Can you talk about that transition in your skiing and in you as a person, I guess, because they're both related, how you translated that Europa Cup success and now starting to build momentum breaking in there um, on the World Cup. Yeah, totally. I mean, for me, the transition from Europa Cup to World Cup has almost been easier than the, the transition from fifth into Europa Cup. So I had, I think it all, it all goes back to my 
blooming back injuries. So back in 2014, I broke four vertebrae in a training crash in Sweden. Um, I was back ridiculously quickly. Um, some would say too fast. I would say that in hindsight too. But, you know, I was 20 years old. It was my first injury. And I had the 2015 uh, Beaver Creek World Champs in 11 weeks from the from breaking my back. And I made it to that World Champs. So that was like our goal. We made it. My back was actually healed. The bones were fine. Structurally, I was good. However, the whole impact of slalom skiing was really something that was overlooked, I suppose, by my medical team at home, who in their uh, defense didn't have any uh, sort of background with skiing or anything to do with skiing. So they, yeah, how would they know? Anyway, moving forward, um, I had four years of kind of the cyclical sort of build up to performance to break down and to having a back where I couldn't ski. So I'd be stopping training for months at a time to build back up, to break back down. And it was a demoralizing place to be. And I carried that through with me right through to the 2018 um, Olympic games. And just afterwards, I was like, I cannot believe I've just been to an Olympics and performed terribly purely because I wasn't even ready. I was not even ready to be there. Sort of boxing day, 26th of December, 2017 so what's that month and a half out from the olympics i couldn't walk like it was <laughs> ridiculous like my coach was carrying me from the car to my bed and like tilly my teammate had to like take my socks off and stuff like i couldn't do anything it was it was bad and so that whole january in the build-up to the olympics was oh my god just get there you know this has been a horrid four years of, of this back stuff just just get to the olympics and i got there and then was like oh god like what am I gonna do now like I'm at the biggest sporting event in the world you know the one that my country puts above everything else and I'm not in my watch <laughs> I was like oh my god right okay and so I kind of made a deal with myself okay just enjoy it and move on like it just it just take what you can so so I did but you know I was definitely in the start gate of the second run slalom I'd done really badly in the first and I was just like get me off this mountain I cannot this is it was uh, I hate yeah looking back on it it was a uh, wasn't a good idea um but go to the end of end of 2018 I had had a pretty good summer down south in New Zealand I'd won uh, an ANC which was I made I made a switch from head to fisher at that point as well I, I which was was lovely for me which was fantastic and I really loved the way the ski was working and that's been great and um, I won an ANC which was like my first big result in about three years by that point but my back broke down again shortly after that there wasn't the resource available for me to have somebody do a return to snow with me my coach and teammate were out in America getting ready for Killington and stuff in the autumn. And it just, it was an absolute disaster on my end of it. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I can't, I, I mentally and physically cannot do this anymore. It's I'm tried everything. I, I've given absolutely everything to my body to make it want to ski. And I, I couldn't. And I was also probably in a mental place that um, wasn't also allowing much healing body-wise to happen because I was so uptight and yeah just in a space where I was probably super anxious all the time um, yeah I just it wasn't nothing was healthy my personal life was awful um yeah and um, anyway so I quit for like two weeks anyway <laughs> then <laughs> GB Snow Sports phoned me up during this two weeks they're like what is going on and I'm like this 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 my body's not working I can't do this and they were like right okay stop so you know I, at this point I had some funding off the back of the Olympic Games team performance and um they were like right we can put you into this rehab center in London and uh, you're going to get physio there SNC there um couple weeks this is pre-Christmas a couple weeks and, and see how you go so I was like fine whatever I'll do the rehab and then at least by the time I quit in March because I'll finish the season because I'm paying for it <laughs> I'll get to March and then then I'm then I'm done at least I'll be healthy for the rest of my life and I can still go ski for fun so uh, all of a sudden I was then down in London kind of like pre-Christmas which is a really cool time to be in London by the way having fun a bunch of my friends from school had like moved down there anyway they were like living their careers because I was what 24 coming on 25 so 
I had like friends in actual real life jobs in the city. Like some of them are like doctors in charge of people's lives. And I was like, well, this is pretty completely different to where I am as ski racer who can't even ski. So anyway, um, I had fun. It was a great couple of weeks. And the physio there, she was an absolute legend. You know, I still like Paulina. I like credit her with so much of what's happened over the last four years. Cause I walked in the first stage physio clinic and she was like, how are you as a person? And I just burst into tears. I can't remember the last time somebody had actually asked me that rather than, mm-hmm. you know, our sort of performance side. And from then on out, there was actually nothing really wrong with my back. It was all sort of like a neurological um, sort of pathway, sort of movement pathways that needed to just be sorted out. And honestly, within four weeks, I was the, probably in the best shape I'd been in ever all round we were just smashed circuits sensibly and then this is where I need to then talk about you know I had this all or nothing approach like I'd kind of seen Dave doing but I guess without the thinking that had gone in behind Dave's program I tried to implement that on myself and it with a broken back an injured back that just wasn't working for me and so yeah sensibly implemented some awesome training techniques and stuff and I then, my first race back was Ore World Champs. I was 30th after first run and then 24th in the end, which was Britain's best female performance at that champs. My second race back was then a Europa Cup in Jasna, where I was second behind Petra Vlova from Viv 36. The third, and I think I beat her in the second round by a half a second. The snow did get a bit worse, but I was, I was still like, so the like, story at that goes. So time, the story goes, right? So the story yeah, exactly. Goes. I mean, it's still not worse, but at that moment in time, like I was like, okay, I'm still quitting at the end of the season, but yeah, I just beat Patrick Love and run sick. Um, and then we, the next race I did was, I think I did a one GS in the middle. We'll move past that, but the next one was um, Europa Cup finals in Fulgaria, and like, I was second after first run from Bib 19 behind Emily Wickstrom. And then won it. And I was the first British girl then ever to win a Europa Cup. And it was only at that moment I was like, okay, I think I'm going to stick at the skiing thing now. This whole retirement plan probably isn't isn't for now, you know, considering the last four years of, or five years of my life. And so that transition was really hard uh, for me to get up into Europa Cup. <laughs> like when you look at that switch that happened, yeah, it was the back, it was the physio, but it seems like it was just a change of perspective. Right. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and when that change of perspective happens in athletes, it's a real exciting time. Yeah. But it's also, do you ever look back and go, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah, 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 absolutely. A hundred percent. Because it was so liberating because I went from this attitude of I am a ski racer, ski racing is my life. Like this is all I do. And this is what I have to do. This is all I have to do my entire life I was blinkered you know I was only on ski racing and as soon as I took that away I was like I am retiring at the end of the year I'm done I applied for uni I got into uni to study physiotherapy yeah did make sense and uh, so I had this whole other other life that was shaping up next to my skiing life which I was already like putting into the sort of back seat because I was like I'm I'm not going to be doing this for much longer. Like I need to focus on Charlie as the person. And as soon as I gave Charlie the person some space, Charlie the ski racer was just like loving it, you know, and it kind of created this whole holistic um, bias bubble of happy person, happy athlete, happy mind, happy body. And <laughs> it obviously makes total sense, but I could never, I, I had to go through everything I went through to mm-hmm. reach that place and you know no matter how much anybody had told me in the past of yeah you, your your mental attitude is going to really impact how you're you're getting on physically blah, blah blah I was like okay be quiet whatever skiing 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 and it wasn't until I'd obviously been through this journey that I could really get to where I am now and so then that whole mindset is I did actually still go to uni. I'm studying psychology now, but having. I bet you are. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> yeah, it seems like the most natural thing when I was like, okay, definitely can't study physio, but something in this whole mindset I've got going on right now is working. So I quickly like went through, we call it clearing in the UK. where there's like extra spots up for grabs that haven't maybe been met at all the universities and found one of psychology in Aberdeen and I was like yeah I'll have it I'm going yeah it's been for then it just feels like it's been a whole wave and it's just been a constant kind of progression I then won a podium in another five maybe four or five Europa Cups um, 
was in the running for the title one year, but DNF the last two races. Uh, and then I've gone on, yeah, to to sort of just progress through World Cup. A couple things here. One, Jeff, Jeff and I are just about in tears because you're preaching to the choir. This is the biggest thing. And Jeff, I'm going to let you jump in here in a second. But this is why you're investable. Right. Because you've put in the grind <laughs> yeah, and then you've figured out the adjustments. You've got all that hard work. And now it seems like you're in a, in the place where now you can start cashing out a little bit, but, yeah. but Jeff, you know, Jeff's not in his head in tears here crying because he's <laughs> loving what you're saying. So Jeff, have your say. Yeah. It's just such a common theme with all, especially for female athletes that we speak to is that once they, once they get to the stage where they know there's more to life than ski racing, it's like a light bulb moment. Like people like Paula, Paula Moulton, same sort of thing. There's been countless others that, that get in that same mindset. And so really great that you're taking psychology and um, <laughs> yeah, probably should have started that a little earlier, but yeah, I definitely should have <laughs> Might save myself a few years. But, you know, Here we yeah. are. <laughs> Can I take that further though? When we look at the, the success, let's take Schladman 13th mm-hmm. and Schladman personal best at one of the coolest venues around. Like if, if Dave's going to win at Kissfield, that seems like a pretty good place. And on, on that note, in our last episode, we had Nick Fellows on. And yeah. and he mentioned, he says, I can't wait to come on to the day that um, Great Britain was the first World Cup. And I said, absolutely. I can't wait to have you, but I'm just not convinced it's going to be Dave because my hunch was coming up on someone like you that was starting to brew. So I took a lot of heat for for saying it wasn't going to be Dave, <laughs> but, it, but it, but it, but it was, it, but it was, it was because of my belief in you and seeing what Thank you're doing. You. So when you, when you get into Schladman, you're 13th now, and now you're chomping at the bit, you're right there. What's been happening in the actual runs in the skiing that you like that gets you there, assuming that it's because you're in the right headset that you're able to execute, but what mm-hmm. is it you're trying to execute and, and how are you doing it? Um, I genuinely don't try and do anything different in a race that I don't do anyway in training. And I think the everyone's kind of said, like, what is it that's changed? You know, this year there, people are saying, oh, my God, you seem to just burst in, blah, 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 whatever. And I'm like, well, actually, this is the first time since 2013 that I've had two seasons on the bounce where I've not had a massive amount of time off. You know, I've had yeah touch wood yeah (laughs) I've actually been able to train consistently smartly and consistently in the gym on the hill for a couple years now so all of that is building up and with that is coming confidence in in what I can do I'm not having to spend time getting used to stuff I can get back onto snow and sort of just work and keep working and um that's really nice. And so I, now I can, I stand in the start gate and I think in Leanne's when I w- came down into 12th, I think I ended up 14th after the first run and came out in the second, but that to me proved that my skiing is there and it's fast enough and I don't need to do anything wildly special to be fast enough. I still made mistakes in those runs and I now can get in the start gate and know if I put down a run, it'll be fast enough I just need to focus on the technical aspects that I'm looking at in training so and it's always simple stuff like the one of the big things for me is just can keeping moving forward just keep moving forward and 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 pole planting on the steep and I I know it's really elementary but those are the cues that that helped me so much and so honestly in the start of slamming all I was like was move forward on the flat pole plant on the steep and there we were I mean I actually wasn't that pumped with my second run to be honest I came down and I didn't have a green light again and I haven't had one at all this season in the finish so it's been quite irritating but and I was like oh that's annoying and then kind of as I saw how the consistency in my skiing worked in my favor versus what was happening to the girls who were faster than me in the first run it moved me up into 13 and I was just like this is mad I think it just has shown me that consistency is the key and um I did listen to the Dave Riding version of your podcast and a lot of what he said about that kind of the switching from building that consistency to then taking the risks to win and making that transition from just getting down 
and scoring some points to okay I need some big points that's something that I've that, that suddenly kind of came into me over the last three four races you know through Zagreb Kranska and I'm like okay I need to, I need to actually start risking some more so yeah that's kind of what's going on with me in the start gate in the moment and uh yeah need to make some changes yeah moving forward but all in all it's decent it, it was the podcast you're welcome it was the podcast, yeah, was the podcast. David. Oh, you're yeah, welcome yeah. <laughs> what, what are your what do you consider your best attributes as a slalom skier um well i'm relatively tall and i grew up skiing on a very flat piece up at, up at cairngorm and i used to do this thing where i would just get to the top of the mountain i'd be like all right i want to carve turns solidly down to the bottom like there were no courses i would do a, a yeah. lot of free skiing um, because quite often there wasn't enough snow to actually set set gates or whatever. I would just yeah. go up with my dad or someone and um just ski about and it was kind of I don't know, I always think back to it. It's like these runs where I thought, okay, I'm just gonna carve top to bottom and I'm gonna keep the speed going the whole way, which has given me a really good feeling for flats and mm-hmm. like mid pitches and that kind of relentless I'm gonna keep going until I get it right. I think is um it shows in my skiing quite a lot and I, I yeah <laughs> I think that's that's helped me an awful lot um yeah that that makes me feel good because I I was thinking that I loved the way that you work in your we're going to get nerdy here for a second but the way that's that you fine. work in your w- with your lower leg in the boot and I think a lot of athletes that grow up on gentler terrain really can be aggressive with that ankle from a young age and learn how to move in the boot. And kids that often grow up in steeper terrain mm-hmm. is pretty defensive and you don't really get to spend as much time working the ankle. ankles side to side. Yeah. yeah. Am, I, am I, am I far off of that? Um, no, no, I'd say what I learned to do, wh- what helps me a lot is I can do a clean turn and I can let a turn go at the, at the end. I, I don't often over ski. And even if I'm messy and messy in turn, the skis are going down the hill on the exit. And mm-hmm. I think that that quite often is something which say quite literally saves me. And it's it is it's quite instinctual. And I think it has come from skiing on a lot of flat when I'm younger and understanding how to carry speed, even if technically I was because I really wasn't a good technical skier when I was younger. Um, especially lately I've been sent a lot of videos of like when I was when I was a kid up at Cairngorm or actually we came over to Killington for one of my first fist camps um Megan Hughes was one of our coaches and she obviously linked that up and uh we were skiing at Sugar Bowl and um oh my snowball at the snowball snowball snowball, that's it we're skiing at snowball and honestly I was seeing those videos and the one thing that I was doing was the top of her was a mess upper body was a mess but the feet were going <laughs> out you the got the sandies <laughs> yeah I always had the um, sandies that's yeah, so great and on the topic of the ankle movements I was really fortunate I think to when we moved into this British junior team we had an Austrian coach and he his his whole thing was ankles if you get the ankles right the rest your ski is going to work as you want it and then you can build up from there like we've got to get this ankle these ankles right and so working with him I worked with him for a good five six years and he basically took us as British athletes me and Tilly and put us in the Austrian system and was like these are the races you need to do this is how you need to work this is the theory we're going to put into you and pushed us forward from there and yeah the ankles was a huge thing huge huge part of that all right good I'm going to keep using it then Perfect. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about women's slalom on the World Cup right now with Petrolova and Michaela Schiffrin battling at, at the top, and they're really good. It's kind of like the, it's kind of competing in the time of Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer. Yeah. Like it, it, it kind of <laughs> sucks. Like <laughs> it kind of sucks in a way. Um, but yeah, it, both but of them are great... younger than me as well, so I'm like, oh. God. Yeah. So there's <laughs> so there's that too. How competitive is that? And who do you look at as the or are you beyond it at the point now where you look at it going, I, I want to do what they're doing. I like what they're doing. Or are you just totally on your own vision quest right now? Shifrin has been around my entire song career. Like I know she's younger than me, but I, I honestly can yeah. hardly remember a day when she wasn't there. <laughs> and yeah. So yeah, I've always, I think, I think what I do is there are three skiers that I will watch 
on you know when we're sat up in hospitality and we're waiting for our turn to go there's three in the top of you know watch and that's Schifrin, Vlova and Linsberger. Now Linsberger is an interesting one because she's somebody that I've grown up as I said we kind of got plonked in the Austrian system as two British girls and so I've kind of watched her growing up skiing and I know there were fist races in the beginning where I used to beat her easily um and then I what she absolutely catapulted herself into Europa Cup and then catapulted herself up into World Cup and then just consistently has skied almost like a robot I would say and you know like her arms are something that I try to emulate because you see her free skiing and you're like I don't understand how she's controlling this like she's just solid she just doesn't move out of her imagine like a cuboid that she's in she just doesn't move out of that and that's something that I've always looked at or I've at least over the last three four years have looked at and been like okay that that stillness is something I need and then I look at obviously Schifrin and how nicely she rolls um her ankle (laughs) that sort of lower leg movement and how much flow she's got and then I look at Blova as a taller athlete as well and I'm like okay look at the power that she is putting in and the lines she is picking and she's going so aggressive on every single turn her little sort of upper body separation movement that she comes down into every turn and sort of crunches like her onto her outside ski and it's like that's creating just so much drive for her and so yeah I think there's there's a bit I can take from probably every single girl in the top 30 at the moment um but my boyfriend he made quite an interesting comment he was like if you're looking at women's slalom at the moment you've got Vlova and uh, Schifrin at the top and if we look at F1 it's kind of like that's that sort of Verstappen Hamilton rivalry and he's like but sometimes the most interesting racing is happening further down the grid where you've got all those drivers in the middle doing their overtakes and kind of like you know doing the exciting racing and I think for women's slalom at the moment that's where the really fun sort of watching the points and watching progressions and watching who's going where is happening you know it's it's further down the, the grid and um yeah it's it's a, it's a cool time to be there and um yeah it's, it's interesting to kind of speculate on on who's going to be the next one to push up and challenge um well shift for Novova basically so exciting right now Jeff you're leaning in here yeah, I, I think it's really exciting. Martin and I talk about it every week at how this, especially this year on the World Cup, has been a lot like who's going to win this weekend, right? Like, you know, from the, from the men and the women, it's been super fun. And I totally agree with you. So you got the consistency sort of figured out. You're, you're working on stuff. When you're in the gate, are you, you believing in yourself that you can win at any race? Because I think I got to say that, like, through your injuries and your perseverance and how tough it's been for you. It seems like that should be the, the big focus is I got to be in here and like, why not me? Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually been quite a battle for me to change my mindset from I'm just a British girl here. I don't belong here. I'm an outsider. I, you know, to, to sort of believe intrinsically in myself to be like, no, I belong here. I've done X, Y, and Z. Like that proves to me that, that I am here. And I think that's really only come into my my head naturally in the start over the last year to be honest that I I feel like I actually belong on the World Cup tour and I belong in the top 30 and that's been such a powerful switch as I said to be able to stand in the start gate and say what I can do is 100% good enough I just need to execute everything that we've been we've been talking about in training and everything I've been working on in training and um I I still haven't made it down a world cup run without a major major error it feels like to be honest there's always one turn that or two turns I'll throw in that are just yeah that absolutely just kill it for me a little bit and then you look at the result and you're like man two tenths faster would have pulled me out five places like and, and those that's that's my next step is eliminating those minor and quite frankly, elementary mistakes. And uh, yeah, and just to get up into the top 10, I think. And yeah, so in the start gate, though, it is definitely uh, a case of, yeah, I belong here now. And I think it's made even more powerful for me. Yeah, with what I've been through and where I started and 
kind of the the journey that was getting those Europa Cup wins, to be honest. As a, as a coach, we call it avoiding the, the junior varsity shit, right? Like those little mistakes, junior varsity, <laughs> keep it varsity. Yeah. That's um, exactly what I need to do. Right. When I think of the Olympics coming up, especially with the World Cup, how it is like there's going to be a few people that actually absolutely change their stars, change their lives forever. Do you allow yourself to sort of drift down that path? How do you how do you, how do you put that in your head? How do you f- frame the Olympics and that opportunity as a as a skier that has had this incredible journey? Like if you wrote this story and it ended with a medal, you they'd say. You can't write that. It's too cheesy. Yeah. But, do, but do, do you think of that or you just, how hard is it to stay focused on, on the present? It's just another run. It's just another run. How do you go back and forth and, and put the Olympics in context? Yeah. So uh, since Fladming has probably been the first time that it's really started sort of creeping in, you know, we had the Olympic announcement last week and that since then it's been quite a lot of media and they're coming in and they're saying, Oh, like, what, do, what, what, what are you expecting? Like, what's your goals? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm, beginning of the season, I was like, well, top 15, easy. Like I just want to top 15. And I came 16th in Ori at the end of last year. I just want to get the, the WCSL points that'll be on offer for coming top 15. Brilliant. Cool. That'll be like a PB for me Olympics wise. It'll be a really good place for me um, on the World Cup tour. Brilliant. That's that's my minimum expectation. Uh, and now since like just how well the last four races have gone, and you know that the yeah, you know that the Olympics is a little bit special. There's gonna be more pressure on Schiffrin, Lova, Linsberger, those girls who are like, okay, we're going for a medal, we want to make history, we we've got all like, the whole nation on top of us about this. Like I won't have that, you know, I, I'm going to go into the Olympics and yeah, Great Britain is watching, but they're expecting me to come somewhere like 15th and, you know, that's what I would like as well. And you never know what's going to, I, I just, you never do know what's going to happen. Like I think back to Ga- Katrina Galhuber at Pyeongchang, crushed in a medal there and you're like, well, it just takes good skiing. And if anything that my, con- yeah, the consistency and training over the last two three years I've been talking about it's definitely improved my adaptability across all mountains all snow types all courses and so I'm kind of coming into Beijing just being like just do what you've been doing and anything could be possible you never know and I think I think I'm I'm feeling kind of ready for something like that to happen to be honest I feel like it's building to that point and I'm I'm just really excited actually Welcome back, and thank you so much to Charlie Guest for an incredible conversation and just opening up and sharing her insight and her toughness. I'm really impressed with this young lady and can't wait to see what she does next. It's now time for our thoughts of the day, and before we share ours, I want to encourage all of our listeners to share your thoughts of the day with us at thenextturnpodcast.com slash thoughts. But here we go. Kara, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts of the day? Well, as soon as Charlie said, happy person, happy athlete, happy mind, happy body, I had an instant flashback as you did, Jeff, um, to our earlier conversations with amazing female athletes like Sophia Goja, Laurence Saint-Germain, Alice Robinson, and Paula Motzen. And I'm I'm sensing there's a theme here, and I'm not sure if this is true only for women, um, but each of these women describe reaching a sense of calm once they have an opportunity to separate the person from the skier. And it makes sense. Charlie's given so much of herself to this sport and it's not been easy for her. It's It's been a, a constant battle, in fact. And I mean, this is a cautionary tale. So if you're looking for a soul crushing, kick you while you're down career, then World Cup skiing might just be for you. <laughs> but seriously, there are so many easier callings and it takes a special person, a resilient, courageous person like Charlie to get in the Stargate week after week, knowing that there will probably be way more tough days than great days, because that's the nature of this sport. This It's an individual sport. But how amazing is it that Charlie has reached a point where she's striving for consistency? That's something she said she learned from teammate Dave Riding, and it's working for her. And I love hearing this. At this point in her career, after so many tough years, Charlie's figured out that for her, being consistent is the necessary stepping stone to success. And it's all about perspective and mindset and enjoying the ride. Kara, that is so smart and so spot on. Thank you for that. Jeff, what are you what are you thinking? What are your thoughts of the day? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to steal Kara's thunder because I was so well done. But, you know, the first thing I, I think of when I think about Charlie is how resilient she's been and fighting through those back injuries. And she, you could, she could have easily given up and she didn't. 
But I want to go back to the comment that I made when we spoke to her about how important it is to know for these athletes, there's more to life than ski racing. And as soon as that light bulb comes on, they seem to like have great success. Uh, and, and so I love that about our conversation with her and that she's found that place. And, you know, as Kara said, she's starting to get in there and I hope she punches one in, in the top 10, top five, and who knows for the Olympics. Uh, but more importantly, and she's someone that's like done this without funding for so long and trying to do it on her own. I'm sure her parents have remortgaged her house or whatever they've done to help her along the way. And she said family and friends. It's not unlike being a Canadian. Like when Larissa got dropped from the team and had to go out and find her own sponsorship and make it. Man, that's that says a lot about how dedicated she is and how you know committed she is to this sport. And I really hope that she gets to where uh, she should be. So Martin, what are your thoughts of the day? Well, I think both of you are spot on. And I, I love how you talk, both of you talk about the difference between Charlie the skier versus Charlie the person. And that is a huge switch that athletes and athletes alone can switch on and off. And when they do switch it on, it's incredible what they can accomplish. And it's frustrating as parents and coaches, because we know that switch is there and we can see it, but it doesn't matter. It has to be the athlete that switches that on and makes that change of perspective. And when they do, it's incredible. So, so I think that's really my takeaway from it, but also the business aspect of it is something that we struggle with here at the next turn, how, how to go about finding sponsorships and how to manage that aspect of this board. When you take someone like Charlie Guest, who's in the top 20 in slalom in the world, and she's losing money at this every year, we have to fix that. And it's a great sort of uh, piggyback on last week's episode with Dexter Payne, the vice president of FIS, saying this is something he needs to address. Well, Charlie is patient zero <laughs> to solve this because this has got to change. We need more athletes like this. Imagine if Dave Riding gave up because he couldn't find sponsorship, you know, seven years ago when, you know, British skiing cut their funding. We lose heroes like that. I'm not suggesting we all have to put in the charity money for it, but Charlie Guest is an investable athlete in this sport. And it breaks my heart to see that she's losing money on this because she should be focused 100% on what's in front of her and not worrying about the dollars and cents. So those are my takeaways. Those are my thoughts of the day. And again, I, I'd encourage all our listeners to share your thoughts of the day with us at the nextturnpodcast.com slash thoughts. But that's all we have for this week. I hope to have you back here soon. Next week, we'll have some more special guests for you here on the next turn. Till then. 